Yeah, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to First Timothy. <clears throat> First Timothy, chapter one. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 1, and let's begin reading from verse 12 uh, this morning. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> so, Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, I pray as we come around your word now that you would uh, just speak to each of our hearts, you would teach us and instruct us through your word, that, Lord, you would refresh us this morning uh, and bless us as only you can. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit, Give me wisdom and guidance to speak this morning, that it would be uh, your words and your thoughts, and that, Lord, all praise and glory would be given unto you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's been quite some time since we were last in First uh, Timothy. If you remember, we started a, a series on First Timothy towards the end of the, the year, and I think November was the last time we were in uh, the book of First Timothy. But if you remember, uh, t- uh, Paul, of course, writes this, Uh, letter to young Timothy and he writes uh, reminding Timothy why he left him there at Ephesus. Uh, In verse 3 it says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than God the edifying which is in faith so do. Paul had besought Timothy to remain at Ephesus in order that he might combat uh, the false teachers, these men who had entered into the church and were endangering the body of believers with their false doctrine. And the false teachers had missed the mark of truth. They'd ended up at a, a spiritual dead end, and they ended up there basically because of the fact that they desired to be teachers of the law when they didn't understand the law themselves. It says it there in verse 7. It says, Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. And so they desired to teach uh, the law unto others when they themselves didn't understand the law, didn't understand the purpose of the law. They had no spiritual understanding. And so the result was that they mishandled the law of God. And this mishandling of the law led Paul to address the proper use of the law. And this is what we looked at last time in verses 8 through to 11. Let's just read that. Verse 8, it says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, 
for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And so Paul addressed the law and the proper use of it, and he makes it clear there in verse 8, he says the law by nature is good. The problem wasn't with the law. You know, the law is good because it reflects the nature of the one who gave it, God. And so the law is good, but it must be used in the way that God intended. And Paul declares that the law was not made for the righteous man, or if you like, it wasn't laid against the believer. The believer. The law wasn't given as a list of rules for believers to keep in order to remain saved or indeed order to be sanctified. That's not the purpose of the law. Rather, the law was given to condemn the guilty, condemn the unrighteous, which Paul listed for us there in verses 9 through to 10. God's law was given to show men their guilt before God, to show men their need of a saviour. You see, the law and the gospel are in perfect harmony with one another. He says that there in verse 11, he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. He says, this, uh, this idea of the law and understanding of the law is in harmony with the gospel message. They don't contradict each other, they complement each other. You know, the law, as we said, gives the diagnosis. The gospel provides the answer, the solution. And so after giving this explanation of the proper use of the law and declaring that God has committed to his trust the gospel message, that Paul now suddenly explodes with thanksgiving to the Lord. Thanksgiving to the Lord for what God has done in and is indeed doing through him. Look there in verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul suddenly explodes in thanksgiving. And at first it almost seems as if he's going off now on a tangent. He's lost his train of thought and he's talking about something different. But in fact, Paul is still building up his case for the gospel. His case for the true gospel as opposed to the false teachers and their gospel. And Paul sees his own experience as the best illustration of the true relationship between the law and the gospel. One commentator wrote this, Paul wished to give Timothy a most effective illustration of sound gospel teaching as contrasted with the disastrous effects of legalism. So he related his own personal experience. And so Paul now begins to give his testimony. And he begins, first of all, here with an expression of gratitude. And so notice me, first of all, here this morning, Paul's gratitude for the divine calling on his life. Paul's gratitude for the divine call in his life. We'll read verse 12 again. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. As Paul's thoughts turn to his own experience and the call of God upon his life, gratitude fills his soul. He declares there, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the words I think here in the Greek literally read, gratitude I am having. Gratitude I am having. You see, the idea is that this is not just a passing 
expression of gratitude. Rather, this is a present continuous attitude. Okay, gratitude I'm having, this is something he has all the time in his hearts. He's constantly filled with gratitude, with thanksgiving towards the Lord as he considers the Lord's calling upon his life. You know, Paul was filled with gratitude because he knew it was the Lord who enabled me. He says it there in verse 12, he says, who hath enabled me? The word enabled here speaks of being given strength to accomplish a task. You see, Paul recognized that it was the Lord who gave him the strength that he needed for the ministry. Paul knew that without the Lord, you know, without his enabling power, Paul could do nothing. And so Paul here is filled with gratitude every time he thinks about God's power in his life, the enabling of the Lord. And then he goes on and he declares that he is thankful that God counted him faithful. He says, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful. The word faithful here means trustworthy or reliable. Basically, Paul looked at you know, what the Lord had entrusted him and he was filled with gratitude that God had deemed him trustworthy. That's what the word faithful here means. Trustworthy, that God could trust him, that God could put his confidence in him. And commentator Barnes writes this, he says, this is the equivalent to saying that he reposed confidence in me. It means that there was something in the character of Paul and in his attachment to the Savior on which reliance could be placed. You see, Paul recognized that God had trusted him, put confidence in him with the gospel message. And Paul de God demonstrated this confidence in Paul by putting him into the ministry. That's the last part of the verse. He says, Who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The word ministry here simply means service. And so he says, putting me into service. God counted Paul faithful so that he put him into his service as a messenger of the gospel. Now, Paul had not chosen to be an apostle, had he? He didn't choose that calling. God called him. God put him into the ministry. It was God who by his grace called him and counted him to be faithful, enabling him, putting him into the ministry. See, as Paul stopped and considered all of this, considered where he was, considered the ministry God had given him, Paul is filled with gratitude. He's filled with thanksgiving towards the Lord. He is overwhelmed that God would call and use him. And that gratitude was magnified by Paul's keen awareness that he was unworthy. That's our second point this morning. Paul now speaks about his unworthiness of the divine call. Paul's unworthiness of the divine call. Look in verse 13. It says, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because that I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, Paul's calling was made even more amazing, even more wonderful when Paul stopped and considered what he was before he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. In verse 13, Paul describes his previous life using three terms. He first of all declares that he was before a blasphemer. Now, a blasphemer, of course, is someone who speaks evil against God. And in Paul's case, he spoke evil against 
the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul denied Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. Paul claimed that Jesus was nothing but an imposter. And he did everything he could to speak out against the name of Jesus. He did everything he could to destroy the work that was performed in his name. We see evidence of this blasphemy back in Acts chapter 26. Paul speaks about what he was before salvation. Acts 26. We'll stay here for a little bit, so just keep your finger in Acts 26. Acts 26 and verse 9, it says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul declares here that he considered it his duty to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. You see, he took it upon himself to oppose everything that was done in the name of the Lord. To oppose the very name of Jesus. And indeed, he went as far as trying to force others to blaspheme the name of Jesus. Look in verse 11 there. He says, And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And so he went as far as getting others and compelling them, forcing them, or at least trying to, forcing them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. You see, Paul, before he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, Paul was a blasphemer. He spoke against the Lord at every opportunity. Paul then adds to this, he declares that he was also a persecutor. Back there in verse 13, just stay here in Acts 26, but he says that he was a persecutor. He says he was a blasphemer and also a persecutor. You see, Paul not only used his words to deny the Lord, but he also used his physical power to destroy the work of the Lord, didn't he? In Acts 26 here, let's just read it from verse 10. He says, Which thing I did also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in the prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them, even under strange cities. Paul here describes for us his hatred, his his anger towards believers and the great lengths that he would go to to see that the church was destroyed. You know, Paul talks about how he would search houses and he would haul the, the Christians off to prison. And indeed then Paul would stand witness against them and see them put to death. Effectively, Paul had them murdered, didn't he? He had believers murdered. Paul, before he got saved, was filled with hatred, with anger, towards anyone who claimed to be a follower of Christ. And then finally, Paul describes himself as injurious. Back there in our passage this morning, he says in verse 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Now this word really sums up his character before he was saved. One commentator <coughs> said this, he said, Paul was injurious, a word that means proud and insolent. A modern equivalent might be bully. It, is, it conveys the idea of a haughty man throwing his weight around in violence. Another writes about the word, he says this, that it means one whose insolence and contempt of others breaks forth in wanton and outrageous acts. 
Now, the word injurious really sums up Paul, doesn't it? When he was Saul. You know, it sums up his attitude of heart before salvation. He was a proud, arrogant man. A man who was filled with this, this attitude towards others, this angst towards others. It was the driving force behind his blasphemy against the Lord. It was the driving force behind his persecution that he was an injurious person. And, you know, with this threefold omission here, admitting that he was a blasphemer, that he was a persecutor, and that he was injurious. With this threefold omission, Paul is acknowledging his guilt according to the law of God, isn't he? That's what he's doing. You know, he says, I'm ungrateful, God put me into the ministry. And then he says, but I'm so unworthy because I was guilty. I'm a blasphemer, I'm a persecutor, I'm injurious. I was guilty according to the law. Back in verse 9 and 10, Paul listed who the law was laid against, didn't he? Read verse 9 and 10 again. It says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedience, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. In verse 9 and 10, Paul listed those that the law is laid against. If you remember when we looked at these two verses, we saw, that we saw the list basically follows the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Okay, he's basically going through the Ten Commandments and showing how men are guilty according to the law. And like the moral law, Paul's list here can be divided into two groups. Okay, the words in verse 9, lawless, disobedient, ungodly, and sinners, unholy, and profane... These words all describe men who are set against God, who are against the Lord. It describes those who break the first table of the law. You see, Paul knew as a blasphemer, this described him, didn't he? He was guilty according to the first table of the law. He sinned against God. He was against the Lord. And then the words, murderers of fathers and mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them to defile themselves with men, mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, these words all describe men who are set against their fellow man. These are men who are guilty according to the second table of the law, the second half of the Ten Commandments. And once again, as a persecutor and as an injurious person, Paul stood guilty, didn't he? You know, he, he was in that list. He's in that list of people there. He's a murderer of fathers and mothers. He, he was a liar. Paul is guilty and he knows he's guilty. You see, the thing is, Paul had spent his life seeking to keep the law, didn't he? Before salvation, when he was Saul, that described who Paul was. He was a keeper of the law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And yet Paul knew that the law condemned him as a sinner condemned him as a sinner. He was lost and on his way to hell. You see, seeking to keep the law had not saved Paul. Seeking to keep the law had not made him holy. In fact, his legalism had driven him further from the law. His legalism was behind much of his persecution, wasn't it? And his attitude towards Christ and towards the church. 
You see, there was nothing about Paul's former life that made him someone God should use. That's the point he's getting to here. He says, I'm so grateful God chose to use me, but I'm so unworthy. There is nothing about my former life that should have made God want to use me. Indeed, there was every reason for God to reject him, wasn't there? There was every reason for God not to save him and for God not to call him into ministry. You see, Paul knew he was completely unworthy of God's calling upon his life. And that brings Paul now thirdly to declare that his appointment was an act of God's mercy and grace. Paul's appointment was an act of God's mercy and grace. Let's read from the end of verse 13 there. It says, But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You know, how could a holy God ever save and call someone like Paul? The answer is mercy and grace. That's the answer. Now, Paul declares at the end of verse 13 there, he says, But I obtained mercy. He says, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. You see, Paul knew he stood condemned before God. Paul knew that he deserved nothing but judgment, but God showed him mercy. Now the words, I obtained mercy here, are not meant to suggest that he did something to obtain this mercy. In fact, a literal translation of the Greek would be, I was mercied. It's in the passive tense. In other words, Paul is saying, this is something God did to me without anything I did. I was mercied by God. One commentator wrote this, The mercy bestowed was not given in response to any act of his own. He was the undeserving object of divine pitying love. You see, God pitied Paul, didn't he? God had compassion on him. And God, in his mercy, refrained from giving to Paul what he deserved. Judgment. That's what Paul deserved on that road to Damascus that day. He deserved judgments. At the end of the verse, Paul declares that God could act in this way, could act in mercy towards him. He says, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 13 again, it says, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He says, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, Paul is not trying to use his ignorance here as an excuse for his sin. Okay, he's not using it as an excuse. Rather, his ignorance speaks of the fact that Paul had not deliberately gone against the Lord. Paul had not set himself against God. He hadn't hardened his heart. In fact, Paul honestly believed he was serving God, didn't he? Paul honestly believed that by persecuting the church, he was doing the work of God. He was on the Lord's side. 
And so therefore God's mercy and forgiveness were available to him because he did it ignorantly in unbelief. As the commentator Hendrickson explained, Paul had not committed the unpardonable sin. In other words, the willful rejection of Christ. Uh, the commentator writes this, he says, Though his past conduct, conduct sorry, had been frightful and had not amounted to the sin against the Holy Spirit, the willful sin against better knowledge. For such a sin there is no pardon, nor does the one who lives in it have any desire for pardon. But Paul's case was different. In his state of unbelief, he had actually thought that he was offering service to God. You see, that's what he's talking about here when he says, I did it ignorantly. He hadn't willfully rejected Christ. He hadn't willfully rejected the gospel and set his heart against God. He did it ignorantly. He thought he was on the Lord's side. He acted ignorantly in unbelief, and as such, God showed him mercy. You see, it was in his mercy that God met him on the road to Damascus that day, wasn't it? That was the mercy of God. That God met him and spoke to him. And in that moment, Paul's ignorance was shattered, wasn't it? When he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and you know, the light shone upon him and he heard the voice of the Lord, his ignorance was shattered. He knew now who Christ was. And what was his response? In that moment, his response was faith. It was one of belief. And in verse 14, Paul declares that in that moment of faith, God showed him exceeding abundant grace. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul acknowledged that God gave him exceeding abundant grace. God gave him what he didn't deserve. The forgiveness of his sin and a home in heaven, the forgiveness of all the, the blasphemy, the persecution, being an injurious person, God forgave him. God in his grace saved him from the wrath to come. You know, Paul knew he didn't deserve this. Paul knew he had shown himself to be guilty. But God showed him exceeding abundant grace in saving him. Commentator Hebert writes this, he says, Grace, the undeserved favor of God, abounded, literally overflowed its channels, covering all his sins. The fullness of the flood of grace poured out on him, far surpassed that shown to ordinary sinners. At least that's how Paul felt. He felt that he was shown an exceedingly abundant amount of grace when God saved him. The magnitude of God's grace was what led Paul to be so grateful, so thankful to God. And that grace was what brought about a wonderful change in his life, wasn't it? It's the grace of God that changed him. Paul indicates that with the next words there in verse 14. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. It's the idea that they brought with it faith and love. The grace of God brought faith and love into his life. You know, it's in contrast with his previous life, isn't it? Now there's faith and love where before there was unbelief and hatred. There's a change in him. It speaks of the change that God's grace has wrought in his life. One commentator wrote this, The grace bestowed upon Paul at and after his conversion showed itself in the wonderful faith and love toward Jesus Christ, whom he had previously disbelieved in and reviled. 
Another commenter wrote this, the phrase with faith and love indicates the effect of grace in Paul's heart and life. Grace kindles faith and love, floods the soul with these divine gifts. And this faith and love are in Christ Jesus. That is, they're centered in him. You see, this is the wonderful work of mercy and grace in the life of the Apostle Paul, isn't it? This is the wonderful work. It, it changed him. It brought about a change in him. You see, it wasn't the law that changed Paul, was it? He tried to keep the law, and he says there's touching the law. I was guiltless. He kept the law like a Pharisee should. But it wasn't the law that changed him. It was the grace of God that changed him. It was the mercy of God. And it's this change that made him someone God could now enable and put into the ministry. You see, the grace of God turned the persecutor into a preacher. The grace of God turned the murderer into a minister and a missionary of the gospel. You see, Paul was saved and called by God's wonderful mercy and grace. The law had nothing to do with it. Paul points that wonderful truth out. It was the mercy and grace of God. And now in verses 15 and 16, Paul quickly goes on to declare that his salvation and calling are an example of what God can do in the life of anyone who comes to the Lord in faith. He says in verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Habib, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul declares in verse 15, he says, The reason Christ came into the world was to save sinners. And he says, Of whom I am chief. He saw himself as the chief of sinners. He looked at his life before he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He knew that he was the very worst of sinners. He was totally unworthy of God's grace, of God's mercy. And yet God saved and called him. And Paul saw that what God had done for him, he says it's a testimony of the long-suffering of God towards sinners. He says that in verse 16, he says, How be it, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me... First, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul says, my experience is a pattern. It's a testimony of what God can do in the life of a sinner. The long-suffering of God towards a sinner. You see, Paul's salvation demonstrates wonderfully for us the long-suffering of our God. It demonstrates wonderfully the truth that it doesn't matter how great your sin is, God can still save you. That's what the Apostle Paul's testimony shows us. He's a murderer. He's the, the very worst of sinners. And yet God still saved him by grace through faith. You see, Paul's life shows us that no one is outside the bounds of God's love, the bounds of God's grace, the bounds of God's mercy. All who will come to him in faith will be saved, just like the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul's life also, his calling also shows us the wonderful example of how God can use anyone to his glory after salvation if we'll surrender to him. 
You see, like the Apostle Paul, you know, we are all unworthy of God's call in our life, aren't we? We're honest. If we look back at our life before we were saved, even after we were saved, we're unworthy of the calling of God in our life, aren't we? We're unworthy. We're all sinners saved by grace. But like Paul, if we will show ourselves to be faithful, God will enable and put us into his service. God can and indeed God wants to use all of us no matter our past. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? If God can take and use someone like Paul with his terrible history, God can take and use any of us to his glory. Because you see, all of our sins are covered by the blood of Christ, aren't they? They're all forgiven. We're saved by God's grace and mercy. And by his grace and mercy, we now can faithfully serve him. You know, Paul concludes this section with a doxology of praise in verse 17. He says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, this verse sums up the praise that is due to God. The praise that is due unto his name for the wonderful work of salvation that he has wrought in the life of each and every one of us. I mean, this is the praise we need to give unto him. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He deserves all the praise, all the glory for the work that he has done in each and every one of us. See, beloved, like Paul, we stood condemned by the law. Condemned on our way to hell. But God in his mercy and grace has saved us and in his mercy and grace, he calls us. Beloved, let us, like Paul today, praise his holy name. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for the testimony of Paul. Lord, someone who you called, you saved and called by your grace and your mercy. Someone who... Lord, he says, even himself, he says he was unworthy of your calling. Lord, it's true of each and every one of us, Lord, we are unworthy of your love, your grace, your mercy towards us as sinners. And Lord, we thank you for that salvation. We thank you, Lord, for your calling upon our lives. Lord, may we show ourselves to be faithful as we seek to serve you. And may we give all glory and honor and praise back unto your name for this wonderful work of grace and mercy in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.